The only time anybody ever claps for me is when I pop. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Uh, it, is, uh, it is so good seeing you here. And I, I have to tell you that uh, when the uh, charter members stood up and I just remembered how it was to start a church, I have to tell you that's, that's impressive. Being at the start of a church is a really, really big deal. I don't care how it gets started. Somebody said that uh, starting a church is like a cat having kittens. It's usually painful when it happens, but when it's all said and done, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I know that from personal experience in South Texas having started a church, and it was, it was a very difficult experience. We were a part of a, a pretty good-sized church. Actually, we were averaging around 400 in attendance, and the Lord moved Gene and I to start a church on the other side of the Laguna Madre Bay. And we started under a tree. Really. I'd had 11 years of education after high school. We had a child and another one on the way. And I tell Gina, let's start a church out here. And uh, we're going to meet under a tree. Outside. In a park. Gina was very supportive. But I tried to avoid my father-in-law for a long, long time. Starting church very difficult, but I know that the Lord was in it. And it's not just that this is the result. You heard our mayor mention multiple things that the church is doing. There have been multiple things that the church has done. But most of all, what's happened over the course of the last three decades is Jesus Christ has been glorified. The word of God has been preached. The gospel has been shared. Lives have been transformed. Was it worth it? Charter members, was it worth it? Absolutely. It was worth it. We've got 30 years behind us. I don't know how many years are are ahead for for this church. Uh, I know that we have some charter members here now that will likely not be here at the next, you know, at the 60-year anniversary. Maybe not 10 years. I don't know where I'll be. I don't know where you'll be. But my prayer is that this church would continue on in the best of the tradition of the last 30 years. And so this morning, I just want to think about the house, this this house that God has built. It's not just that the charter members were involved, the Holy Spirit was involved, and God did something extraordinary here. So just thinking about houses. My dad was in construction, and when my dad was in construction for multiple decades, he did mainly commercial construction, which was essentially schools and offices and government jobs and the like. But for a while, he did build a few homes. And he built some houses when I was younger. And I can remember sitting in those houses as they were going up, kind of unfinished on the inside. I'd just sit on the carpet and watch the people around do some work. And and I can remember how wonderful it would be to have a house, how wonderful it must be for this family to be moving into their own house. It's wonderful to have your own house. Having a house means safety and security to have locks on the doors and locks on the windows. It's a, it's a great thing. And it gives you some control. You can kind of control your environment when you have a house. When it's dark outside, you can come inside, turn on the lights. The bugs aren't going to get to you. When it's cold out, you can come inside and be warm. When it's hot outside, you can come inside and be cool. When it's raining outside, you can come inside and be dry. It's a wonderful thing to have your own house. It gives you control. It gives you safety. And you can do whatever you want. When it's your house, you can paint the walls whatever color you want. You can redo the floors. You can knock out some interior wall. You don't have to ask your landlord because you are the landlord if it's your house. 
It's a great thing to have a house. So it makes us wonder, if the Lord were going to build a house, what kind of house would he build? Would it be one story, two story, or more? Would he have an infinity pool in the backyard? I think if he had a pool, it'd have to be an infinity pool. He's God. (laughs) If God were to build a house, would it be Floridian or Mediterranean or contemporary or modern glass? How, how How would his house look? What would he do when he constructed his house? If he were to build a house, would he put it in a gated community? I don't know. But actually, we don't have to wonder about these things because the Bible tells us the kind of house that the Lord builds. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about a different sort of house, a house with a different sort of foundation, with a different sort of cost, with a different sort of purpose, with a different sort of construction model. Paul reveals to us the kind of house that God builds. Let's go ahead and stand together out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word as we think about our house and the house that God has built and the house that he continues to build. For he himself is our peace. God himself is where we rest. We don't rest in a place. We rest in the person. For he himself is our peace, who made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. See, when God builds a house, he brings down the walls. He tears down a wall. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. God's household is built not on a foundation of concrete or stone. It's built on the foundation of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's the cross, ultimately, that is at the corner of the foundation. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Verse 17. He came near and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. The house he built on the foundation of Christ he built so as to bring all people everywhere in. He opened a door and he left the door open because his whole agenda in the design of his house was so that everyone would be brought in. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You see the whole Bible, the apostles in the New Testament, the prophets in the Old Testament, the whole Bible is held together in Jesus Christ. The whole thing points to him. And the one that holds everything together upon whom the church is built, it's not just a proposition, it's the person of Jesus Christ. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The house that God built, where you and I and others yet to come in, we come in under this roof to enjoy the father. The father dwells with us and we with the father because we've been granted access to the father through the son by the one spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, when you understand that the house that God built is very, very different, and you understand that the builder of this house has a unique and extraordinary agenda, you recognize that living in this house under this roof with this unique, extraordinary father and this wonderful older brother is going to be a different experience. 
to be a, a part of this house, to have been brought into the Christian life, is to live an entirely different sort of life. Because we've been put in a different sort of place. To live in this house is essentially to live at the intersection between very real human need and divine grace. To be in this house, under this roof, constructed on the foundation of Christ's broken body and shed blood, is to live in a place of extraordinary importance and significance, where people from all walks of life, all shapes and sizes, are brought into the house. And they live together in an extraordinary unity. This is where children who've been forgotten and forsaken are brought, brought in so that they can be remembered and cherished. This is the kind of place where the stories about Jesus are told. Where we tell the stories of Jesus and help people to reinterpret their life stories in light of his life story so that they can see their life and their person in light of the beauty of Jesus Christ. When you live in this house, when you have been given access to this house by the Son in the way that he gave you access, you recognize that God has placed you strategically and unobtrusively at this intersection between heaven and earth. And that you are a participant in this extraordinary hospitality that spans the globe and transcends time. When you've been given access to the Father by the Son, by the One Spirit, you live a different sort of life because this is a different sort of house. The house that we've been placed in is extraordinary and unusual, and at the heart of this extraordinary house that God has built for us is this access to the Father. Let's read this one more time. For through Him we have access to the Father by one Spirit. The bottom line for the Christian life is this access to God. Now, access doesn't sound like that extraordinary of a verb, but this this word... Access, it's kind of an unusual word. It, it implies that in order to get in, you need somebody who will make an introduction for you. It's not a normal word, access. It can also be translated introduction. You go over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, and this word that's translated access is translated introduction. It's a word that has to do with being introduced to a dignitary, to a very important person that you would not be able to have access to were not someone introducing you. Paul, with this word access or introduction, paints a really powerful picture for us. Let me see if I can paint this picture for you in contemporary words. We know that very soon a very important person is coming to Central Texas. This very important person is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's going to be here Actually, one week, it's one week from Tuesday, October 15th, 7 o'clock, is that he's actually going to be in Waco. Now, for those of you who don't know that he's a very important person, John, can I just ask you, is he important? He is important. He is seven feet, two inches tall, so he's big in a literal way, but he's a really big deal figuratively because he has won uh, the NBA championship six times. He's been named the most valuable player in the NBA six times, which is more than anybody else, including Michael Jordan and and all the rest. He also is still the leading scorer in the history of the NBA. He is a really big deal. He's been given the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest honor that a civilian can be given by the President of the United States. He's a big deal. And he's coming to Central Texas. 
So let's just imagine that, that you, like John, are a big Lakers fan. And I want to tell you, John's a big Lakers fan because when he first got here, he had Lakers paraphernalia all over his office. And he had, really, he had, like, in Lakers jerseys and pictures of Lakers players. There was no Bible. There was... <laughs> There, there wasn't a cross or anything like that, but there was Lakers stuff in there. And I talked to John about it and say, well, you know, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Lakers, though, are second to Jesus, okay? So we got that really clear right off the bat, and it's not quite the same anymore. John has grown since he's come to this church, but John's a Lakers fan. Let's just suppose that, that you're a Lakers fan along with John. And on uh, Tuesday night of next week, you go up to Waco to McLennan Community College where he's going to be showing up. And you're just standing out there on the road because all the tickets sold out the first day that they were available for this gym that's going to be packed out. Everybody there to see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So you're just out on the curb and you're just hoping to get a glimpse of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You're just hoping as he drives by maybe in his stretch limo, he's going to roll down the window, look out, and maybe wave in your direction. But you know... That if you don't get an introduction, you're not going to meet this person because when it's a very important person, you can't just walk up and say, hi. You can't do that with the President of the United States. You can't just say, hey, I follow you on Twitter. We're friends. And then just barge into the White House because guess what? You're not the only one that he tweets to. Right? You need an introduction. And so you're just out there on the curb and you're just hoping that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is going to drive by so you can see him or maybe touch the hem of his garment as he passes by on his way into the gym. Which, by the way... Uh, John, just so you know, I did get two tickets to go see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. These are yours. Come here. Get them. Fast. It's true. Yeah. So, I mean, you can, you can, yeah. You can take, I mean, you can take Wyatt or whoever, I don't know. And just in in case you're wondering how much they cost, I can't tell you, but you owe me a lot. Okay. (laughs) Um, yeah, only no, no, actually, actually, true story, I saw this and I thought of John when I saw Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and I called the lady and said, do you have any tickets left? She said, no, we're all sold out, but I've got two VIP tickets. And so you take, really? And, uh, she did give them to me for free, but you still owe me. But anyways... (laughs) So she gave me the tickets for free. And so you just take them to the ushers and they will usher you to your floor seating right there in front of the stage. It's kind of, kind of really pretty cool. Anyways, I digress. Anyways, okay. So, now, suppose you're there, suppose you're one of the lucky people that John takes with you and, uh, or takes with him and, and, uh, you're there and you see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but actually before you see him, you see his entourage showing up. And someone in the entourage recognizes John Sullivan standing out there on the curb waiting to see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And they went to school together. And the guy says, John, John Sullivan, is that you? Yeah. And John's old friend from school says, John, would you like to meet Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? So well, sure, I'd love that. And so you've got this friend who's even better than this friend who got free tickets. And, uh, and he takes John and you essentially kind of by the hand and leads you past the barriers and past the guards, past the bodyguards to meet Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or, or maybe past the stage, backstage. Not only do you meet him, not only does he give you an autographed picture of himself, but you actually go to his house where he's staying that evening in Waco with his whole entourage. Not only do you go 
to the house, but you go into the living room. And there John sits down with Kareem right next to each other. And they're having tea and crackers or whatever it is that they're having. And, and they're just... <laughs> well, you know, that's how NBA people roll. They have tea and crackers. That's how they stay in shape. So they're having tea and crackers and they're visiting. And Kareem says to John, John, you're really cool. I really enjoy your company. And uh, would, you, would, you, would you like to bring your wife and kids out to L.A.? I'd like for you to meet my family, stay at our house. So you can swim in our infinity pool. I can stand up in it, but... You know, it's six and a half feet, inch, you know, deep, and uh, you, you just you can swim in it, and we'll go to the we'll go to the ocean, and I'll take you to some of my favorite restaurants. Why don't you come out to the house for the weekend? You know what's just happened there? You've been given access. There was an introduction, and without the introduction, you would never have gotten to know this very important person. You would have never gotten in. Without someone who took you by the hand, took you beyond the barrier, took you past the stage, and introduced you to this very important person. Now, does that sound kind of far-fetched to you? No. Well, no, it's not. Uh, Does it sound far-fetched to you that I would even think of John to get him tickets? Yes. Okay, but, but we're not on that. We're on another subject. Does it sound far-fetched to you that any of that would happen? Look, listen. The reality to which Paul is pointing is, is far greater. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have received the ultimate introduction. You've been given access to the Holy Father. You've been brought into His eternal home. You've been brought in not just for an evening, not just for a weekend. You've been brought under the roof with your Father for all eternity. You've been given access to the king of the cosmos. You have been given an introduction to the holy Lord of love and of life. And when you come home, you rest because your peace is in him. And you know you're home. But again, all of this was made possible because The house that God built and the house that God designed was created so as to let you in. Because when he built this particular house, when he built the house, he brought this wall of hostility down. And when he built this house, he opened a door and the door remains open. And this particular house or dwelling is incomplete until the next person and the next person and the next person comes in because... He designed his house so it would continually rise. It continually rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, the the house of the Lord is a place where you come in. And when you come in, you recognize that you're home because you're with your father. And you're with your family, your brothers and your sisters. And so there's rest because you feel like you're at home. And yet at the same time, as soon as you find your rest, you're restless because you recognize that this house that God has built, he's still building. And it's incomplete without the next person and the next person and the next person. Because this house was designed to continually rise until his glory fills the whole earth. Because you recognize that the access that you were given, you did not deserve.
and you recognize that the one who died to give you access died not just for you, but for other people who need access too. And so how do you know that you've come into the house? Well, here's how you know. Here's what happens next. As soon as you come into the house and you're blown away by your relationship with the Father and your brothers and sisters and you recognize that God is knitting you together with others in an extraordinary way so that you and the community of the saints becomes this dwelling place of God himself, you recognize this is too good to stop here with me. What God is doing is too good to stop with who has already arrived. And so following the master builder, here's what happens. You recognize that now that you've been given access, you are a priest because he's the high priest. He's made you a priest. And now you have access to the father through him, too. But like any good priest, you use your access to the father, not for your own benefit, but you use it for the benefit of other people. Just like Jesus Christ, who had access to the Father, used that access that he had to the Father for you to bring you an introduction. And so in keeping with the master builder, in keeping with the great high priest who's given you access, you live the rest of your days bringing in another and bringing in another and bringing in another because you recognize that this is a different sort of house. That this is a house that costs a lot. And the foundation ultimately resting in the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, it's just the whole thing is built on his broken body and shed blood. And that gives you rest and it gives you peace, but it gives you simultaneously a restlessness. And so you spend the rest of your days like Jesus, who built and is building this house, representing God and presenting people to the Father, because that's the design of the house of which you are now part. That's how we operate. We are a family of priests revealing Christ because the house that he built and is building, it's a different sort of a house. Now, I know how your house is and I know how my house is. It's a place of safety. It's a place of rest. It's a place where we can close out the rest of the wall and we can control our environment and do our own thing. But that's not how his house is. In his house, we find rest and simultaneous restlessness because what God has given to us is too good for us to keep only to ourselves. We're a family of priests revealing Christ because this is a different sort of house, or at least it ought to be a different sort of house. I was asked a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, Ernest, what are your goals for this church? And and I appreciate the question. But it always makes me nervous when people say this because the reality is I don't know that I can set the goals because this isn't my house. This isn't my church. It's not my church any more than it's anyone else's church. It's not the charter member's church any more than it's anybody else's church. Ultimately, it's his church. And because it's his church... He sets the goals. I uh, I heard several, I won't tell you how long ago it was. It was two weeks or two months or two years or ten years ago. It doesn't matter. But in the past, in reference to something else, I would hear this every once in a while from someone. Well, the pastor works for us. I used to hear that a lot more frequently than I do now, and I'm very grateful for that. That used to bother me, and here's why. I teach this class 
on Wednesday night. I just started teaching it this last week on church works, just how the church works. And we've got a, do we have an org chart we can put up there on the screen? There we go. I don't know if you can see that. It's kind of small. But at the top of this org chart, I don't, can you see that? It says Jesus Christ because he's the head. That, what that means is all the rest of us, we're all working together in cooperation, collaboration with one another under the headship of Jesus Christ to pull off what it is that he has for us to do. And so when people say, well, yeah, he works for us, or Ernest, you work for me, or whatever, then people put themselves over the staff or me or congregational process, it really bothers me because they've put themselves in Jesus' chair. I hope I never, ever, ever hear anything like that ever again. Because this isn't your church. It's not mine. It wasn't David's. It wasn't Don's before him. It wasn't Holly's in the interim. This church belongs to Jesus. And we all work together under his headship to fulfill his agenda for us. So the appropriate question is, in light of the building that he has created and continues to build as it rises to be this holy temple that fills the whole earth so that one day up there comes down here and his glory fills the earth and his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, in light of the house that he has built and is building, what is his goal for us? I'm going to mention too, and now some of you are going, oh yeah, now you're getting all, woo, big shot. Ernest knows exactly what Jesus wants us to do. Well, I'm not going to tell you anything this morning that any of you who are believers would disagree with. Because we have his word and we have his Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you exactly what Jesus' goal is for us. Two things. It's real simple. He wants us to grow and he wants us to go. Told you it'd be simple. He wants us to become more and more like him so that we can appropriately represent him to people around us, individually and corporately as the body of Christ. And he wants us to go because he built this house and is continuing to build this house. And he wants more and more people to be brought into it, to be given access to the Father through him by the one spirit. He wants us to go and he wants us to grow. And you can put those in whatever order you need. Now, I want to tell you something. Over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about these two goals in particular. I hope that you'll be here for this. It's going to be from the Bible. I'm not making stuff up, okay? I hope you'll come back for this. But let me just tell you a couple of things real quick. We have been under the impression as Baptists that what we need is more education. Baptists have done a terrible job of educating people. What they need is more education. We've been trained to think that we need more training. No, you don't. He's given you his spirit. He's given you access. You've already been made a priest in Christ Jesus. We ought to be going and representing and presenting people to God on a weekly basis now. There is no need for any of us to wait for any more than what we've already received. And the reason some of us maybe have not grown is because we've not been serious about this call to go. They're two different tracks, but they run in the same direction. Growing more and more like Christ and going and representing him to people. You know that this is Christ's goal for you and for me. We don't have to dance around this. I know that's really simple. Some of you are disappointed. It's like, I thought it was going to be interesting. I had somebody else say the other day, you know, I'm really tired of us saying interesting things. I'd rather us just be obedient. Let's be obedient to go and to grow. And I, I tell you what, 
for those of you who've been around for the last 30 years or 20 years or 12 years or 10 years or however long you've been, and you've seen the history of this church and the ups and the downs and everywhere in between, you know that things are really, really good when only Jesus was sitting in Jesus' position and when you were being obedient to go and to grow. In those times when people started having their own agenda and putting themselves in Jesus' chair, in those times, I can guarantee you, because I've heard the stories and I've seen a little too, in those moments, this was not the church that Jesus wanted it to be. Let's allow Jesus to be in his seat, and let's go and grow in obedience to him, because this is a different sort of house. And the same access that has been given to you, Jesus Christ died to give to other people. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this house, but I pray, Lord, that as we rest, that we would not be complacent. That as we rest in in you, our God, as we find our peace in you and in you alone, that there would be simultaneously an excitement a joy, a thrill at what it is that we've been given. This incredible introduction to someone even better than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. We've been, inter- we've been introduced and brought in, all the way in, into the heart, into the council, into the, the friendship circle of the Lord of life and of love, the King of the cosmos, the ruler of all. We are so privileged to have been introduced. We did not deserve it. We could not merit it. We could not work our way into it. It was just your grace that brought us in. And it's that grace that excites us, that energizes us, that presses us to be obedient like Jesus Christ, the master builder of this house. May we continue forward in the next 30 years, allowing Jesus to call the shots and following him, our great high priest, as priests under his high priestship, using our accept our access to him as an opportunity to bring others into this house, to introduce them to Jesus Christ who gives them access to the Father by the one Spirit. May our agenda be yours. May we press forward and not be satisfied with where the house is now, but may it grow and grow, rise and rise, until it becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would be well pleased, not just with this day, not just with the year ahead, but for the next 30 years or however long this church in particular holds together. It is not about us. It is about you. And we confess that wholeheartedly without reservation. May our plans be yours. May our agenda be yours. And may we be submissive to you in all things, growing more and more like Christ and going forth as we have, in fact, already been sent. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.